Indeed, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Thank you so much for joining us here at Christ Central on the holiest, most significant day of the Christian calendar, at least. I'm going to be turning now to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 13 to 15, and then one little verse from wisdom literature, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Okay, I'm going to read this for us. This is Jesus speaking in John 15. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And then Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is God's word for us so far, thanks be to God. Easter Sunday, at least two billion people bend their knee, confess with their mouths in worship that Jesus Christ, because he has risen from the dead, is the Son of God. He is omnipotent. He is the victor. He is coming back. He determines the course of history. And if true that he has risen from the dead, he actually determines everyone's eternity. I mean, if true, (laughs) Jesus came back from the dead, then all of eternity hinges upon him. What is astonishing in our passage in the Gospel of John is as revered and as eternal as all the honor and glory and reverence that is due to Jesus Christ as God and Savior of the world, that same Jesus turns around and calls us friends. As lofty and exalted as Jesus is and will be into all eternity, he turns around and calls those who worship him. If you do worship him now, it's because he is calling you his friend. Three times, three times friends. Could it be that Jesus Christ wants friends more than fans? Could you believe that Jesus, who claimed to be equal with God, the Son of God, wants friendship more than a following? I mean, is it fathomable? He says, everything I know about my father, I'm going to share with you. You know, that's what friends do. Jesus wants friends who are that transparent, that intimate, nothing is hidden, nothing is secret. Jesus came for friends. Jesus came to make friends. Jesus came to make you and me his friend. Three things today about friendship. We are all made for friends, made for friends. Second, features of real friends. Third, the best of friends. All right, three things, real quick. Made for friends, features of friends. 
Third, the best of friends. The Bible diagnoses that all of our problems, all, I'm not exaggerating that, all our problems at the root are the result of relational breakdown. All our sorrows, all our shame, all our pain, all our sleepless nights, all our anxiety, all our depression, all our hopelessness, all the scars, all the trauma. Where does that come from? At root, it's the result of a relational fallout with God. If God made you and with one another. I don't know how studious or scholarly you are. I'm not. I'm really not. All these studies are being done on the effects of COVID, not just the physical disease, but all the social isolation, all the separation, all that forced removal of in-person company. There's going to be droves of studies that come out. Do you really need to study it? I feel it. Don't you feel its effects? The separations from pandemic polarization in our culture, politically, economically, and socially. The ability to be so mobile, you can just go anywhere else across the world tonight. Technology. All the busyness and frenetic pace of life that squeezes out time and energy, and again, in-person contact with what you may call friends. In the longest-running study on happiness in life conducted by Harvard on adult development, it originated in 1938. Here is their conclusion. Quote, close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. The longest running study, hundreds and hundreds of people, atheist, agnostic, believing, Jewish, Muslim, any religion. Here's the conclusion. Well, here's what the Bible has to say. Adam, the first man that God created in the Garden of Eden, ached for a companion. He was lonely. He felt his loneliness not because he was weak, but because he was strong. Listen to that again. Adam was created by God to need company. That is not a sign of illness. It's a sign of optimal health. People are all created in the image of a maker, God. It's called the Imago Dei. We are not cosmic accidents. We're not just molecules randomly colliding together, which would then therefore mean there's no such thing as love. But because we are creatures created by God who forever has enjoyed and loved company, God whom we worship has always been in community. He's always been social. He's a relational being. Well, if we're made in his image... That's the purpose of your life. By the way, did you know that's the purpose of your existence in all of life? Not only Harvard confirms it, but the Bible predicted it. To love 
and to be so known and loved in a company of friends. Oh, again, Jesus Christ, a historical figure. That's beyond dispute. Beyond dispute. He was crucified by the Roman Empire. Beyond dispute. The tomb was empty. Beyond dispute. By the way, we just read the stone was rolled away. So the stone was rolled away. Do you know why the stone was rolled away? Did Jesus, who's risen from the dead, need the stone to be rolled away so he could exit out of the tomb? Of course not. He passed through closed doors in his resurrected body. Do you know why the stone was rolled away? So you could see it. You could verify it. It's a fact. The stone was rolled away so the first women who came could witness, there's an angel here. The body is empty. Well, that same Jesus indisputably lived, died, and then billions of Christians into eternity are going to say it's because he rose from the dead. There's no alternate theory that makes more sense of those historical facts. Even he, the son of God, made at least 12 new friends. I mean, doesn't that strike you strange? One of the first things he does in his public ministry, like this is his mission in life. He was born to do this. What is the first thing he does? Calls friends. 12 friends. When Jesus was frightened, when Jesus was tearful, when Jesus was alone, when Jesus was tempted, when Jesus was torn in agony, on that final fateful night, who did he look for? What did he need most? Jesus needed his friends. Our church has been going through the book of Acts, book of the Bible. It's a historical record of the first and early church that gathered around the worship of Jesus Christ. It says in chapter 2, verse 42, that that first church was devoted to fellowship, quote-unquote fellowship. All right, let's just get rid of this religious jargon. What is that? What is fellowship? In essence, there's no better English word. It was friendship. What did the first church do in worshiping Jesus? They made friends. They loved friends. They needed friends. They enjoyed friends. And then the mission of Christian people is just to make more friends. Make more friends. Because Jesus came to make friends. What do people look for and want most? In a church. End of the day. End of the day. Is it the music? Is it the programs? Is it the preaching? I think for most people, it's, I found some friends there. They really, really know me and care for me. Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, I don't know if you heard of him. He's a key figure in early church history. He was a pivotal speaker. He spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will find in biblical records that he was almost always surrounded by friends. I've argued Apostle Paul doesn't make it in life and in gospel ministry without his friends. Who does? Who really does? You were created and made for friends. All right, second, features of friends. Features of real friends. 
Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it reads this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. All times, all times. That could not mean literally 24-7 all the time. That would be weird. That might be a little bit uh, codependent. A friend loves at all times does not mean literally all time, but it means all kinds of times, all kinds of times. Not only when you're up, but when you're down. Not only when things are going well, but everything is falling apart. Not only when being a friend with you is somewhat happy and beneficial, but when it's consequential. Being a friend with you, your troubles actually start to trouble me. Your problems actually become my problems. That's the mark of a real friend. Real friends stick. They stick. They stick while other people come and go. In a climate and a culture of fans and followers, real friends do not flake. They don't fake. They stick. They stick. Again, to the historical figure of Apostle Paul, I think his closest friend was a doctor by the name of Luke. Luke authored many books of the New Testament of the Bible. And we have discovered that Luke was so close to Paul, so devoted to Paul, that he stuck with Paul all the way until his martyrdom. Martyrdom is to literally, physically die because you confess Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord, risen from the grave. Dr. Luke never got married. Dr. Luke never had kids. And we have found that Dr. Luke, because he forsook all other family attachments, he was entirely devoted in his friendship to Paul. That's an example of a real friend. They stick. Now, if you stick by anyone long enough, close enough, you will find faults. Ah, there's the underbelly. Oh, of course you will. You will find hypocrisies. You will find inconsistency. You will find hurt. You will find mistakes. They may even betray you. That is inevitable. So another feature of real friends is they not only, they not only stick, you must learn to forgive. I mean, in fact, you have to forgive to stay and grow as friends. Features of friends, real friends stick, but in order to stick, hmm, like really stick, deeply and long enough, you have to forgive. I would suggest to you that if you're not good at forgiving, you will not be good at friend making. If you've never had to forgive, you've never either had close friends or you won't keep close friends. You have to forgive forgive absorb the pain and the damage rather than ruin and kill off the friendship proverbs chapter 24 verse 29 reads this do not say i will do to him as he has done to me i will pay the man back for what he has done this is the voice of justice this is the voice of the legal courtroom this is the voice of litigation this is the voice of separation. This is the voice of divorce. This is the voice of all kinds of fallout. In some cases, you need to do that. 
The Bible actually warrants that. But if you want to stay friends and grow as friends, friends don't do this. They don't keep a record of IOUs or wrongs. They don't like list off all the most petty charges you've ever done in history and then actually write you a letter about it. They don't come back for vengeance. They learn to forgive. Look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. It reads this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Now, you know, real friends, it's not only that they don't keep a record of wrongs or IOUs, they've also actually learned to overlook all the small stuff. You know, the minor stuff. The insignificant stuff. Can you imagine being in a relationship with someone who calls you out for every single little thing? This person has learned to cover all offenses, most offenses, because they seek love. And, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Again, now, the second little clause, he repeats a matter, separates close friends. That's the opposite of forgiveness. Because when you forgive someone... You refuse to bring up that past record. When you really forgive someone, you don't repeat that past crime or hurt. It's buried. It's done. Thanks be to God, my wife has stayed married to me for 21 years. Did you know that Jesus says marriages dissolve in heaven? Brothers and sisters dissolve in heaven. The only relationship that lasts in heaven is friendship. And there is no way around it. Sunny could not be with me for 21 years unless she has learned to forgive. If she doesn't forgive, she will forsake our marriage. We have to learn to be better friends in marriage to last forever. These are features of friends. We're made for friends. And these are features of friends. You stick and you must forgive. But now let's get to the best of friends. The best of friends. Stickiness, forgiveness. I want you to hold up any book, any example, any expectation, any ideal, any principle, any virtue, or even your imagination on what the best of friends should be like. And I want you to hold it up and compare it to Jesus. Jesus will not only fulfill them all, he will surpass them all. Please study and learn about Jesus. He will surpass them all. Because Jesus sticks closer. Closer than any friend. Closer than any friend you've ever met or you could ever meet. Closer than your BFF, your soulmate, the perfect match. Uh, Brian Chappell Shares of the story of two brothers in his, who grew up in his hometown, and they went to go play upon a large mound of sand by the river. And while they were playing, the sand was not firm, and their weight actually caused them to sink into the sand. After some time had passed, when the two brothers did not return home, their family and their neighbors conducted a search. And then when they came upon that area, they found the younger brother unconscious with his head and shoulders caught above the sand. And when they asked him, where is your brother? The younger brother replied, 
I'm standing on his shoulders. I'm standing on his shoulders. Proverbs 18, verse 24. Let's read it again. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Oh, that's for next week here. Doesn't matter how many followers or likes or fans you have. That actually might be more dangerous for you when you have nothing but fake friends. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Where is your brother? I'm standing on his shoulders. Could there be a friend closer than that brother? Could there be an older brother who sticks closer and is more sacrificial than that brother? One of the beauties of the Bible is that in the first 39 books called the Old Testament, they're all prequels. They're just prequels to Jesus. Jesus sticks closer, closer than a brother. Friends must learn to forgive, to stay and grow as friends. Wow. Jesus, Jesus, he sticks closer than any friend or brother. You know, Dr. Luke, going back to Dr. Luke, he couldn't possibly be there for Paul all the time in every way. Again, that's not humanly realistic or possible. But we pick up here in Acts chapter 23, this one incident where Apostle Paul was left alone. Here's what we read, Acts 23, verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The dissension, the Sanhedrin, divided and angry, polarized like today's times between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were so angry and violent, not only at one another, but against his apostle Paul on trial. What does it read? They are about to tear him to pieces. Now the tribune, most likely Claudius Lysias, a high-ranking Roman military officer in command of at least a cohort, which is 600 Roman soldiers. It got so dangerous in that courtroom the tribune had to order military soldiers to come and rescue Paul. They had to take away Paul before he got physically torn apart. The following passage, right after this passage, there are 40 Jews who conspire and say, I will not eat, I will not drink until we kill this man. You talk about the lethal violence surrounding Paul's life. Verse 10, we just read it. A tribune had to order soldiers to rescue him. Oh, but then we pick up in verse 11. What does it read? The following night, the Lord stood by him. Who's the Lord? Well, it's the same risen Lord that converted Paul, that called Paul. Paul fell in love with this Lord, Jesus Christ. The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you, as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That little phrase, the Lord stood by. 
the Lord stood by even when Dr. Luke couldn't be by his side. The Lord sticks and stays by during the night. During that long, dark, lonely night when you ache for someone in your bed or you used to have someone laying in your bed and now they're gone. It is the Lord. There is a friend who sticks and stands by every single night. Toward the end of this worship service, we're going to sing my favorite hymn. The first stanza goes like this. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. He alone is with me to the end. He sticks closer, uh, but he also forgives. As the forever friend. Jesus alone forgives as the forever friend. Friends must forgive to stay and grow as friends, but he's the forever friend. My oldest daughter, Taylor, some years ago, innocently said, Jesus is my friend. How adorable, how innocent. Jesus is my friend. Then her younger sister, Elizabeth, within earshot, without skipping a beat, said, Well, I feel sorry for him then. Man, I feel sorry for him. You know, in verse 16, Jesus goes on to say this. We didn't read it of John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Remarkable comfort here. <laughs> it's remarkable. You didn't do the choosing. I did the choosing. You know, when Jesus chooses you, he alone knows the real you, the exhaustive, comprehensive, contradictory, conflicted you, the complete you. Not what you selectively share or post. Not what you filter. Not what you present to the world. Jesus really knows you. Past, present, and future. You know how you guys have like timeline photos on your computer? Google or Apple do that. Well, let's imagine audio and visual. Audio and visual. Just a live stream running video of the entirety of your life. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is not trapped by time or space. When he chooses you and me, he sees all of your 24-7 AV, past, present, and future. He sees it and knows it all at once. But then for him to choose you and me means this. He sees everything about you, but chooses you nevertheless because he's committed. Oh, he's all the way committed to forgive you as a forever friend, 
to forgive you as a forever friend. The best of friends is closer, and he is forever. One more aspect, one more aspect. Finally, Jesus prophesied about it. No greater love than laying down one's life, than laying down one's life for his friends. No greater love. No greater love. I've been playing with this for about a couple weeks. It was hard to try to think through. Why does Jesus call this the goat, the greatest of all time? It's in the context of friends. No greater love than for what? Husband and wife? No. Father for daughter? No. But for friends. I'm just going to try to explore that with you a little bit. Why is that no greater love than that? Well, there's no natural family affinity or ties. You didn't grow up with that person. Biological or adopted. But you still lay down your life for your friends. I think it's greater than family. I think it's greater than falling in love. Falling in love. Let's all admit it. There's a lot of hormones at work there. There's a lot of attraction and chemistry and maybe other pressures that's going on there in your season of life. How about lifeguards, first responders, those heroic firemen who rush into the seat of danger to rescue lives? Well, that's your job. There's no greater love than laying down one's life for his friends. You know, you don't want to. You don't have to. You're not expected to. You're not forced to. You're not attracted to. You have no natural desire to. But when it comes to friends, it's unnecessary. But yet Jesus does it. It's pure and voluntary. Maybe that's why it's no greater love. Oh, I know certainly though, Jesus is referring to it's no greater love because when Jesus loves his friends, his love for his friends is stronger than death. That's why there's no greater. When Jesus loves you and calls you his friend, death itself cannot sever that tie. In John chapter 11, Jesus attended the funeral of a friend by the name of Lazarus, whom he loved, and it says he wept. He wept bitterly. He mourned for his friend. He missed his friend. But in John chapter 11, it also says, while he wept, it's because he was so angry. He was upset at death. And so he called for the name of Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And lo and behold, Lazarus like resurrected and stumbled out of the tomb. And he came back to life. He came back to life. A couple weeks ago, students and teachers were shot tragically yet again. Covenant Presbyterian Church, Covenant Presbyterian School in Tennessee. And a whole community weeps and mourns. We weep and mourn at that kind of tragedy and violence that is being conducted. But here comes the best of friends. He not only weeps, he resurrects. 
Jesus not only weeps, he calls back his friends to life. And this is what Jesus does for all his friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 declares, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Because God raised the Lord, he will raise us all up by his power. Jesus got up from death, not only to conquer all atrocities, evil, injustice, and suffering, not only to finally put death to death, not only to be vindicated as the one who is the risen son of God, who has the authority and he deserves the authority to forgive all sins, but he got up from death so he could raise all his friends back up from death too. He got up to call all his friends back from death. Is he calling you? Could this same Jesus be calling you like he called Lazarus? Do you hear your name being called by that same risen Lord Jesus? Because if you hear him call your name, you are raised to a never-ending life. Death has no hold on you. Quantitatively, you shall never die. Do you believe this? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But not only quantitatively, you will never die. Qualitatively, you have a whole new life, a new friendship with an older brother by the name of Jesus Christ. And God will become your father and the Holy Spirit spirit will come and accompany you in every single night forgiving all of your sins could he be calling you how could he be calling you well i'm so happy that as one of the pastors and preachers here i get to tell you this day there's a gospel to this do you know what gospel means good news here's the good news to this everywhere you study and research in the selection criteria that Jesus had to call and choose his friends, you will find he had no standards. He was not picky. He was not choosy. In fact, you might be surprised to find the kind of friends that Jesus calls. They're the most despised. They're the ones who lie. They're the ones who cheat. They're the backstabbers. They're the treacherous. They're the traitors. They're the ones who don't make friends or keep friends. They're the frauds. Do you know whom Jesus likes to call and choose as his friends? The sinful, the sick, the needing to be saved types. Jesus loves to choose and call friends who are the needing to be saved types. He chooses them, not based on your love ability, but his ability to love you. Not based upon your performance or proven track record, but his pure grace. Pure grace. My friends, you can become a friend of Jesus. And you only become a friend of Jesus, not because you're good, but because he's gracious. Verse 13, no greater love is no one than this. It's a prophecy. It's a promise. Jesus did it. 
He laid down his life for his friends. Then verse 14, a funny little verse. He says, if you are my friend, you'll do what I command. Oh, that verse. You're going to say, oh, no. That means I got to do everything he says. And unless I do everything he says, then and only then I can become his friend. Well, you're misunderstanding that verse. In verse 14, it's not a condition for you to become his friend by obeying everything he told you to do. It is just a response, a result of him befriending you. In case you are confused, in case you think, oh, this pastor just must be making stuff up here. I've never heard that before. Did you know you can become a friend of Jesus before you obey everything he told you to do? Look at verse 15 again. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Past tense. Past tense. It's done. He already did it before his disciples obeyed anything. What does this mean? This means good news. Jesus befriends you before you follow. Jesus loves you before you obey. Jesus is gracious to you before you are of any good. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he came to do for you and for me. And if you receive that, it'll change every relationship in your life. If you receive him as the best of friends, he will heal and he will overcome all the problems and your heartaches at root. Ultimately, you and I are made for friendships with God and with one another. Nothing will mask or medicate or make up for that except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. And so this morning, I invite all of you here this day. Anyone who's been broken by love and friendships. Anyone who has violated the codes of love and friendships. Anyone hurting or hurt by it. Anyone who's failed or failing at it, there is someone for you. You come to Jesus. You can confess everything to him. He knows everything about you, but still wants everything of you. Ask him. Just ask him. There's nothing else you need to do. There's nothing more you can do. Just ask him. This is all you have to ask him. Jesus, would you befriend me? Would you befriend me? And I tell you this day, there's no one better at it. Saving, loving, helping, keeping. He is with me all the way to the end as a forever friend. At the end of this worship service, we're going to sing the final verse of my favorite hymn. And the final verse will go like this. Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his, and he is mine. I am his, and he is mine. If you sing and pray this, if this is what you want and what you ask for, come join a group of his friends called a church. 
get baptized or confirmed, become a member of this church, which you will see. And the best of friends forever, all the way to the end, closer than a brother with no greater love. He is yours and you are his. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word, but we thank you for the reality. Jesus has risen from the dead for his friends. I pray, O Lord, you'd call many more this day to yourself. Call their names. Call the names of the friends you want as we sing and pray and respond to your glory and to the building up of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.